Hello and welcome. We are joined here today by Jian Wild. Jian, thanks for joining me. Thanks very much for having me. Now, whereabouts are you joining us from? I'm actually at Coolum Beach in Queensland, the Queensland Sunshine Coast. Um, I managed to escape Melbourne at the beginning of March uh, when COVID first arrived uh, because I, I kind of felt that I needed to be somewhere a bit safer. Uh, and that worked out really well for me. So, yeah, I'm yeah, that's, quite happy where I am. <laughs> that's, that's proven to be a prescient choice. Yes. <laughs> I wow. may never come back. <laughs> they may not want you to. Like, yeah. I mean, can you leave Queensland for Victoria at the moment? I can definitely come back to Victoria. Right. Okay. Um, but I wouldn't be able to get back into Queensland if that makes yes. sense. Yes, it yeah. does. So, yes. Um, my, my dad and uh, stepmother live uh, in Queensland. They've got 10 acres of rainforest. Nice. So perfect for isolation. Yep. Not so great for my mental health. Yeah. I'm probably a little bit too old to be living with my parents. I think yes. <laughs> yes. a lot of people probably get to that age. So yep. that's why I decided to um, come to the Sunshine Coast. Yeah, because um, yeah, they're, they're up in the mountains uh, south, of, south of Brisbane. Yeah, okay. Awesome. And look, tell us, what are you working on at the moment? Well, I'm technically on leave until the 31st of August Wonderful. but um, I've, I've decided I've come back for UX Australia yep. and I also am doing a couple of webinars but the thing that I've been working on for probably two and a half years now um, are these mobile site and native app testing guidelines okay. so worked with a whole group of fantastic accessibility specialists developing these mobile guidelines and they are actually being released publicly tomorrow uh, so yeah and of course the presentation that i'm doing is on mobile uh, at ux australia in a couple of weeks yep where can people find those guides when they're released they're on the accessibility oz website okay. under the resources top menu link Wonderful. that's just called mobile mobile testing yeah okay well we'll make sure that we put a link in um the description when we actually publish the podcast so that people can find that easily that's really Excellent. exciting yeah and we um look it was a committee uh that worked on it and we are planning on updating them so if it's something that you're interested in or you see something that is just wrong uh please let us know we we're not perfect and uh if you'd like to join the committee for probably we won't probably start it till 2021 um but if you'd like to join the committee on revising them we'd love to have you so what was the what was the objective for those guides? So uh, I, I've been testing mobile sites and native apps since about 2014. And I've actually been around the world speaking at conferences about all these terrible accessibility issues that you come across. And I, I ran yeah. a seminar called Mobile Accessibility, the Good, the Bad, the Ugly. Um, and it basically was a whole bunch of usability and accessibility issues. Yep. Um, but I found that I could really only attribute maybe a third to WCAG errors. Okay. Uh, so one of the things that uh, 
I worked on with the ICT Accessibility Testing Symposium, which is a specific accessibility testing conference in DC every year, mm -hmm. was to come up with a set of specific mobile guidelines. And so in 2018, uh, there was one committee uh, and I was the co-chair and we released one set of guidelines at the end of that uh, that dealt with both mobile sites and native apps. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that in 2019, we decided to split them into two groups, one mobile sites, one native apps. And we really kind of did a lot of work in the last year because we were kind of hoping in the first, uh, first year that WCAG 2.1 would address the mobile requirements. Okay. And we've really found that it didn't. Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of generally accepted in the accessibility industry that there's a whole lot of things that WCAG 2.1 is missing. And that's, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the way it goes. And people are aware of that. And we wanted to provide them with a solution. It's, it's an, an odd area, though. I mean, WCAG has always lagged behind, I, I, yes. I think it would be reasonable to, to say and probably kind to put it in those terms. Um, and yet so many of the other um, standards bodies and specifications that are out there, I, I was involved early on in a working group for the XML protocol when it was first released um, and the, the XHTML protocol when it was first released. And the intent of both of those things was that they be forward facing, that they be something mm. that, you know, browser manufacturers and other developers could work towards, not as something that, you know, sort of represents a point in the past that will will catch up. So it seems like an odd. Yeah. Position. So it's, it's a couple of things. Certainly, because uh, I was on the WCAG working group uh, mm -hmm. in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. and when we developed WCAG 2, we really did want it to be forward-facing. And mm -hmm. so we had this thing called uh, technology agnosticism, which basically, okay. you know, we, we wanted everything in WCAG 2 to be applicable, whether you're talking about an EPUB or a site or a native app or a PDF. Okay. However, if you think about it, the real work on WCAG 2 finished in 2006. Um, and so we really didn't have mobile sites and native apps. Pre-iPhone, pre-Facebook, pre-Twitter, pretty much all. Pre-everything, yeah. right? And so, and the committee process or the publish publishing process mm. um, within the W3C is has some problems. I mean, I personally have no idea how you would do it better, but there's always been um, problems with, you know, voting rights and, you know, lagging behind the times. And that was yeah. also another thing that we wanted to sort of achieve in the committee. And we all worked really, really hard mm. to get these things. And we wanted to say, look, we're going to publish them as is every year. Um, and so even if they're not perfect, and we know they're not perfect, there's something that people can, can look at and can mm. use. Whereas I think with the W3C, they have these... Um, 
uh, you know, kind of normative recommendations and they publish something and they know that they're going to be kind of referred to in policy and legislation and things like that for a decade at least, that they have to dot every I and cross every T and it just takes a really long time. Mm. Um, I think that's, that's part of... I mean, I don't know if that's really the problem, but that's part of why we're in this situation. Uh, You know, and they're talking about WCAG 3 and they're working on WCAG 3 and I'm sure it will be really, really good, but I'm also sure that there'll be another massive technology change that none of us can see coming that makes WCAG 3, you know, fairly obsolete. So one example, for example, is WCAG 2 specifically Mm. said that uh, everything needed to be keyboard accessible. And that's that's a great requirement. However, yeah. it didn't require that everything be mouse accessible. And it certainly didn't require that everything be touch accessible. And so you end up with these mobile errors where you can't actually access anything unless you're using the keyboard. And yeah. how many people have access to a keyboard on a mobile device? So yeah. once again, that kind of te- technology agnosticism didn't really translate. And that's probably just because it was the early 2000s and technology has changed significantly as it will keep going, keep doing. Yeah. And I think there just needs to be, um, it needs to be a faster process, but I'm not sure that that's, that's actually ever going to yeah. happen. Are the accessibility guidelines for technologies like augmented reality? No, nothing like that yet. Yeah, okay. In fact, in fact, this year before COVID, uh, I was actually going to the ICT Accessibility Testing Symposium um, requested that uh, I start a committee to develop uh, augmented reality or wearable or VR um, testing guidelines because there's nothing, there's there's some bits and pieces, but there's nothing really uh, big out there. Um, and so, yeah, then COVID happened. And I, I was, so I know a lot about mobile sites and native apps, but I really don't know anything. I know a little bit, but nothing really. I do not think I should be chairing a committee about wearable or VR or AR um, technology. So we, so we were going to put together, we put a call out for people to say who would like to be involved. Uh, we had a little bit of interest, only a handful of people. And then COVID happened and all the committees just, kind of fell off the edge of the cliff yeah you mentioned earlier that only one third of the problems that you were finding were WCAG related what were the other two thirds can you give us some examples so we found some fascinating things so you might be aware of a keyboard trap when it comes to WCAG so you you are trapped in a component you tab through certain options and you get say a video player and you can tab into the video player but then you can't tab out of the video player that's keyboard trap it's a very serious accessibility issue Mm -hmm. Uh, and we actually found a significant number of traps in mobile sites and native apps so what we found were things like layer traps where Mm -hmm. you say you opened a a hamburger menu the Mm -hmm. screen reader user would be trapped underneath the hamburger menu or you might find something called a touch trap where you actually couldn't uh, move up and down the page because uh, the basically the site or the app had uh, commandeered all the, you know, the touch for moving a map around or something okay. like that. Mm-hmm. So we found, uh, and we, we spent a lot of time devising how, what to call these traps and uh, how they 
you know, how they should be grouped. And one that I'm sure we're all familiar with mm. is what we call the exit trap, which is where you have a pop-up and you have a little close button that is completely inaccessible. Yes. So that therefore you're trapped really, because if yep. you can't access the close button, whether it doesn't have an accessible name or it doesn't meet color contrast requirements mm -hmm. or the touch target is too too small, any of those reasons yep. mean that you're basically trapped and you have to close the browser and start again. Uh, so we spent a lot of time on developing, you know, naming these and grouping them and providing examples. Everything has examples so that you can really sort of see what we're talking about. Uh, and test cases as well. So exactly what you need to do to actually test these things. Okay. So we also grouped the, so those were the critical test cases, the critical mm -hmm. errors. And then we had things like alternatives. So can you uh, access content in a different geolocation. So for example, Lyft and Uber do this really well. You can be in a specific location, but request an Uber for somewhere that you're not actually located at that period of time. Okay. So that's helpful for people like carers and things like that. Um, and uh, then you have failures like uh, Ikea, for example. If you, uh, when you go to an Ikea website, it says we need access to your location. And if you say block, it says this website is not going to you know, be not, you're not going to be able to use it. Uh, then we have some, uh, a group of display uh, mm -hmm. errors. Uh, so things like touch target size and things like that. And then we have actionable items. So uh, making sure that everything is touch accessible, but keyboard accessible, etc. cetera. Uh, we have a section on forms, uh, audio and video, uh, etc. And one of the things that we do that's very different to WCAG 2 is we actually outlaw captures completely. Uh, okay. Captures, uh, which are those little write the squiggly words or uh, are completely inaccessible. Yeah. Uh, WCAG, the WCAG working group has written a number of articles on how completely inaccessible they are. And so we said just out of the box, you cannot have a capture and meet these requirements. Interesting. Um, I, 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 I note that when I was, um, as a small business owner, I needed to complete a payroll tax submission yesterday. In order to do that, I needed to log into the State Revenue Office website um, that had a capture attached to it. Yeah. And what we find, just on a little tangent about captures, it is one of my favourite topics, is that uh, people always say, oh, but the Google recapture is accessible, or the version mm -hmm. 2 wasn't accessible, but version 3 is accessible. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely not the case. Mm -hmm. So recaptures at the moment, Google has changed something so that there is a little option there for an audio file yeah. to, so theoretically you'd be able to play the audio file and as right. a screen reader user complete the capture, yep. it doesn't actually play anything. And previously when it did play things, it was basically in, unintelligible. So, um, these things are not accessible and uh, I'm willing to fight anyone who says that they are. Um, you're welcome to email me and tell me that I'm wrong and give me examples of captures that are accessible mm -hmm. and I can promise you they're not. Yeah, wow. And yet we see them everywhere. Yeah, they're like everywhere. They're, they're prevalent, right? They... Yeah. We had, uh, we had a couple of uh, presentations at last year's UX Australia that dealt with um, voice interfaces. And that would seem to throw up a whole raft 
of potential issues around access. Is that something that you've started looking at? Yeah, so once again, this was one of those things that along with the wearables and the AR and the VR that mm. we we thought we need to really look at this because there's nothing, no one's really talking about it and it does cause a lot of issues. It can mm. cause some, you know, big issues. Uh, but no, it's not something that I personally have looked at and we haven't, no one's asked us to look at it yeah. yet. Okay. I think there's this real belief that uh, when a technology is new, like the Alexa and Siri, I mean, Siri is not that particularly new, yeah. but uh, that people kind of go, oh, well, you can survive without it. So why does it need to be accessible? And there's certainly that attitude to social media for a long time. Yeah. And that's been around for like 13 years. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, yeah, it doesn't really need to be accessible. It's not a serious, you know, serious thing. But I'm absolutely sure that in the next few years we'll start seeing questions around the accessibility of these things because they are sometimes integral to yeah. completing, you know, a function or yeah. you know, doing whatever you need to do. Or accessing a whole suite of sort of smart home type devices. Yeah. Like they're almost exclusively run by a voice interface to Google Home or Alexa or, or something like that. But it also speaks to... We, we, we tend to think it's okay that a product be introduced initially and not be accessible. Yes. And, 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 and we do it all the time. And then the accessibility part, just like the requirements and the guidelines, the accessibility part will catch up eventually. And in the meantime, people who are, are genuinely designed out of a lot of environments in our society, get a new one that they're designed out of and excluded from as a result. Um, and we, yeah. we, we seem generally okay with that as a principle. And it's crazy. Yeah, it is. I do think it comes back to this kind of, well, you survived without it before. You know, why do you need it now? But I think the other thing to be aware of is that often these kind of technologies provide a solution to people with disabilities that they've never had before. So one of my staff is vision impaired and he loves his Alexa because, you yeah. know, he can say, Alexa, what's the time in Australia? He works in college sure. and Alexa just says something. Yeah. Um, however, there are massive privacy issues around Alexa and mm -hmm. these other products and he's become so reliant on it. Yeah. And there's really the, if there are other options, those other options are often very much not accessible. Yeah. So yeah, it can, you can end up being uh, restricted to, you know, one product uh, which has some problems. Um, yeah. because you really can't afford to, well, you can't access another. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's, that's a big problem as well. Yeah, that's great. Jan, that's all we have time for today. And that's been wonderful. I hope we get to hear much more from you at UX Australia. I'm looking forward to seeing you um, and hearing from you in a couple of weeks. Excellent. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Enjoy your afternoon. On the on the, uh, uh, on the, beach. the Queensland coast. Yes, yeah, I shall. <laughs> and, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Hi, right, thanks for having me.